Oh, it is good to be together. And uh, I, I invite you to turn to 2 Samuel chapter 9. And while you're doing that, I want to share a little story um, that I read. The story is about a man uh, that we know the last name very well, but it's Fiorello LaGuardia. He was the mayor of New York City during the worst days of the Great Depression and throughout World War II. He was a colorful character in his city. He used to ride the New York City fire trucks and would help with the police department and raiding the speakeasies. He would take entire orphanages uh, to baseball games and when there were strikes um, by the New York police, uh, newspapers, he would go on the radio and read the comics to the kids. And one bitterly cold night in January of 1935, he showed up at the night court in one of the poorest wards in New York City. And he relieved the judge for the evening and took over the bench himself. And within a few minutes of his position in, as overseeing this court, he, a, a tattered old woman was brought before him. And she was charged with stealing a loaf of bread. And so he asked, well, why? And she went on to tell him that her daughter's husband had deserted her, her daughter was sick, and her grandchildren were starving. And so she stole bread to help feed them. And the shopkeeper came to represent himself that the bread had been stolen from, and, and he basically said, you know, I'm not going to drop these charges. It's a real bad neighborhood, Your Honor. She's got to be punished in order to teach others a lesson. And LaGuardia sighed, looked at this woman, and said, I've got to punish you. The law makes no exceptions, $10 or 10 days in jail. But as he was pronouncing the sentence, he was reaching into his pocket. And he pulled out a $10 bill and said, here's the $10 fine which I now remit. And furthermore, I'm, not, I'm going to fine everyone in this courtroom 50 cents for living in a town where a person has to steal bread to feed their grandchild. Mr. Bailiff, collect the fines and give them to the defendant. Now, the next morning, newspapers, you could read it in the headlines, they reported that $47.50 was turned over to a bewildered old lady who had stolen a loaf of bread to feed her grandchildren. Fifty cents of that amount being contributed by a red-faced grocery store owner. So, while some 70 petty criminals, people with traffic violations, and New York policemen each gave 50 cents for the privilege of doing so. And each also gave the mayor a standing ovation. The reason I share the story is it's 
the essence of grace as it recognizes our condition. It pays a debt that, and it gives more than what we could have ever imagined. And so as we turn to this story this morning in 2 Samuel, we find David doing something pretty similar. As we begin the story, you know, in, in chapter 7, it's like he got up one morning and decided, I'm going to build a temple. Chapter 9, he gets up one morning and, and calls in someone that had been a servant in Saul's house and basically says something similar. Because he decides in his heart that he's going to extend kindness. And David says, I want to show kindness for Jonathan's sake. And so, we need to understand this word kindness though. Before we can really understand the story, we need to understand that that this understanding a word of kindness has to do with a contract, but or a covenant rather, but it's also understood as goodness, mercy, favor, loving kindness. It's very similar in some ways to the word we use for grace that's found in the New Testament, which is often defined as is unmerited love and favor of God toward the undeserving. Grace is one person accepting another person in a positive manner in spite of the unworthiness of the person being accepted. So David decides and desires to extend kindness to one of Jonathan's or, or one of Saul's family, really. And that's why, and why that matters is because he was the new king. We don't know how long he had been king over at this point, but it doesn't seem like it had been very long. And, and when a new king came in power, usually he would seek out and destroy all the members of the previous king's line. That way he would eliminate any presumptive rebellion that might come from that family. And so politically, David had the right to execute judgment, at least as far as society saw it. But instead, he decides and he chooses to demonstrate kindness, grace. Not because the house of Saul deserved it, we all know. Now, I I was reading and many call it that Saul was David's enemy, but David never despised declares Saul his enemy. Saul declared David his enemy, but not the other way around. But he does this because of his relationship with Jonathan, whom he had promised, he had made a covenant with, that he wouldn't destroy the offspring. So when David decides to extend kindness, he does it without any limits, though. I I, I think it's important. In fact, the key word in verse 1 is anyone. He's not selective. Anyone in Saul's family was a candidate to receive this kindness, this grace. And so when David discovers that one of Jonathan's sons is alive and well, this man also, the servant of Saul, also reports, but he's a cripple. It's like to, 
to, to harness the blow somehow. You know, he's an outsider. He's, he's maybe not worthy of your attention, David. But David never asked what kind of man this son was. He never asked for how badly he crippled he was or what any other statuses of... He just wanted to know if there was an heir that he could show kindness to. Because grace doesn't concern itself with the man's background. It doesn't concern with his surroundings, his abilities, his appearance, or his future potential. David's response with grace is now, where is he? And as soon as David hears where this man is, he sends his servants to fetch him, to, to bring him to me. And grace says, I'm not concerned about condition. I want this man just as he is. And that's what it is with God's amazing grace that we sing about so readily. God sees us exactly as we are. He loves us in spite of ourselves and knows all about our past, knows all about our problems that we bring, and all of our potential that we can have and he responds by calling us to himself. In verses 6 through 8, we see this grace, this kindness is received. Because grace can be offered, but unless it's received, it's just out there. I mean, put yourselves in the shoes of of Mephibosheth. Now, I hope I'm going to say that right all the time. I'm just going to say it, but uh, Mephibosheth. He's a crippled man. He's an outcast. Outcast because he not only is part of the old king, king's throne hierarchy, but because he's a cripple. He's a cripple because when he was about five years old, his father, Jonathan, was killed. And when news got to uh, the castle, the, the home of the king, one of the nurses tried to flee with the child to protect him and dropped him, and his legs were permanently damaged. But he's also one of the few remaining members of this house of Saul, and so no doubt he's, he's a poor man. He's without access to... Uh, the wealth and the lands of his family. He's probably living in fear for his life. Hiding away of sorts. He's afraid that King David or frankly one of Saul's enemies would come after him. And so for all of his life, he's lived at the fringe of society. Now, 15, with this passage here is about 15 to 20 years later after this accident happened. And all of a sudden, the sound of horses and chariots outside the house, and in come some of David's men from Jerusalem. So with a fearful heart, he gathers his things. And he leaves with the guards, not knowing fully what's going to happen. 
You can imagine what's racing through his head. Is, is this the last time? Is this what's going to happen? All these different what-ifs that keep us up at night. In verse 6, Mephibosheth comes into David's presence knowing this could very well end poorly for him. So he humbles himself in the presence of David. But instead of judgment, Mephibosheth experiences tenderness. He hears David call him by name. Up to this point in this story, his name has not been mentioned. And yet, to his amazement, he hears David not just speak his name, but the words, don't be afraid. And it doesn't stop there. Because then he hears the king promise to restore the land that once belonged to his family line. And not only that, David goes further. Not only does he put him in possession of that family and line and and land and all those things, but David says, you are now going to live with me and dine at my table. In a world full of vindictive retribution, grace is overwhelming. In verse 8, he acknowledges that he understands this, what's going on. He understands that what should have happened isn't happening, and instead the exact opposite and more is coming to, to be a part of a blessing, that this grace has been extended. And, and he, his words really catch you. He says, what is your servant that you should notice a dead dog like me? Grace has been extended. It's been embraced. And Mephibosheth's life will never be the same from here on out. I mean, what a picture of God's grace. If you've ever experienced God's grace in your life, then you know how overwhelming it can be as as you come and and you think back and remember the day that you first really realized that you were in the midst of God's presence. And, And you kind of take the words of Isaiah You know, woe is me, for I am a man of unclean lips, and I come from a people of unclean lips. That God, I am not worthy to be in your presence. Do you remember that? You think about it? You remember the feeling of undeserved mercy? Do you remember how you came with nothing and left with everything? That's God's grace. And when grace is embraced, everything changes. In verses 9-13, through 13, Mephibosheth receives the grace that is offered. He receives more blessings than he ever could have imagined because grace was then expanded. It wasn't just that, hey, I get to breathe, I get to keep on living. It's no, all these other things that, that are provided. You notice them with me. And understand that similarly, these things are provided to us in God's grace because it provided a future. 
Mephibosheth at this point had nothing. He was living with another family. He was poor. He was an outcast. He was a fugitive. He he had no hope, no prospects for his future. But when he is met with the grace that is offered by David, everything changes. And all of his present needs are met. And And even better, his future is secured. He doesn't have to worry about what's next. The same is true for all of us who experience God's saving grace. We had nothing. We were outcasts and fugitives, running for our lives from a holy God who possessed the right and the power to render judgment. But when God's grace is extended and we receive it, everything changes. What a life of sin could never give us All the pursuits of this world could never provide what God gives us in Christ. There is hope when we live into God's presence. In verse 11, we find that Mephibosheth was essentially adopted out of Saul's family and into David's family. Grace gave him something that he did not have before and hadn't had for a long time. Grace gave him a family. From that point on, Mephibosheth was reminded by his surroundings and by the presence of the king himself that he was a recipient of grace. He was there because of what the grace of the king did and what it offered. And in the same way, as a result of God's grace, We are adopted into the family of God when we place our faith in Christ. We are given more than what we could ever imagine. Some might point out that Mephibosheth was a nobody in a house of somebodies. You think about it. He he comes to eat at the table and there's David's sons. Solomon included. There's David's wives and daughters, and there was Joab the general, there's soldiers, there's statesmen, there's men of wealth and power, and all these people take place in, in the dining area with, at, at the table of the king, with the best of the best being provided. And yet Mephibosheth takes his place at the king's table with all the rights and privileges of the family. Grace took what society declared a nobody, an outcast, not good enough, and made him a child of the king. That's the power of grace. It takes the lost sinner and it gives him a seat at the Lord's table. It takes us and makes us one of God's children. It puts us on even footing with all of God's precious saints. And when you embrace God's grace that He offers freely, He elevates you to a new position. You are not beneath Abraham, Moses, and the apostles or any of the other saints. You are God's child. Seated at the table with His grace has taken care of your past, your infirmities, and has given you a future. 
That is the power of grace. Titus chapter 3, verses 3 through 7 says this, At one time, you too were foolish, disobedient, deceived, and enslaved by all kinds of passions and pleasures. We lived in malice and envy, being hated and hating one another. But when the kindness and love of God our Savior appeared, He saved us. Not because of the righteous things we had done, but because of His mercy. He saved us through the washing of rebirth and renewal by the Holy Spirit, whom He poured out on us generously through Jesus Christ our Savior, so that, having been justified by His grace, we might become heirs, having the hope of eternal life. Mephibosheth had no reason to think that he was worthy or, of, of, or would ever have his inheritance restored, let alone relationship with the king restored. Much less that it would happen by David himself. Think about it. We all carry with us at times guilt and shame and brokenness of one sort or another. But what if instead of hiding it, we brought it into the king's presence? That we extended it and asked for forgiveness. And then we received God's grace. It might expose us for what we feel makes us unworthy. It might even seem frightening. But God's mercy answers our fears and restores us to a place of honor. The question we all need to answer this morning, God has a a table set and sent for you. Are you brave enough to take a seat? God set a table before us. Even if you think back to the story of Christ in the Last Supper, He had people positioning themselves for places of honor, but He also had people ready to betray Him. We all make a decision this morning. Where do we sit at the table? I invite you, if you have your communion elements, to take them. There's a small piece of plastic that holds the, the wafer, another piece of cellophane that you'll need to tear back to, for the juice. But we take this together this morning because God has given us the ability to sit at the table. Not just the ability, but He invites us. That if we have received Christ as our Lord and Savior, if we've asked for forgiveness and received what God has already offered, we are more than capable of partaking together. And we do it seriously. We're reminded that in the same night that our Lord was betrayed, He took bread, and when He had given thanks, He broke it and gave it to His disciples, saying, this is My body given for you. Do this. 
in remembrance of me. Likewise, after supper, he took the cup, and when he had given thanks, he gave it to them, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood, which is poured out for you. Do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me. God, we are all unworthy in and of ourselves. But in you we find grace. In you we find hope and joy and peace and forgiveness for our sins. That we are made right not because of the things that we do, but because simply of who you are and that you've made provisions for us to enter into your family. And so, Lord, we take this and we come before you in true humility and faith as we partake of this holy sacrament through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. The body of our Lord Jesus Christ, which was broken for you, preserve you blameless unto everlasting life. Take and eat this in remembrance that Christ died for you. blood of our Lord Jesus Christ, which was shed for you. Preserve you blameless unto everlasting life. Drink this in remembrance that Christ's blood was shed for you, and be thankful. Go today in God's grace and live with thankfulness because you are seated at God's table. You are dismissed.